The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. As we're working through the book of Genesis, one of the things that encourages me most is as we come to the beginning of this chapter, Abraham, Abraham becoming Abraham with 99 years old. Anyone here over 99 years of age? Not yet? So if you can get to 99 and you're the father of our faith, which Abraham is called, he's called the father of those who have faith, the father of those who live by faith, if he can get to 99 and he's still messing up, there's hope for us. We're all on a journey and we're all learning. Between last Sunday's reading, the last verses of chapter 16, when uh, Ishmael was born. In the first verse of chapter 17, 13 years have passed. Now, I don't know that I've found anything that kind of explained what happened between God and Abraham in those 13 years. And so Andy spoke before about the, 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 the lengths of time some things take. And um, I just wonder happened in those years, how impatient Abraham would have become. I know how impatient I would have become. But when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down. You know, we often talk about the day we're going to stand before God and see him face to face. I think we're going to do what Abraham did. We're just going to fall face down and worship, slain in the spirit, humbled. Whatever the reason is, that's kind of where you find yourself before a holy God. And God said to him, as for me, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. We've been following this series of God's promises from, we actually read about it in Acts chapter 7, where uh, God appeared to Abraham and Ur of the Chaldeans and he said, leave and go. Leave where you are, go to the place I will show you. And so he left in time and he went to Haran. And there God says, I will make you into a great nation. And then he goes on and he travels to Canaan. This is before he goes into Egypt and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. 
And then they end up in Egypt, and on the way back, they settle again in Canaan. And God says, all the land and your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, unable to be counted. And so you see this growing progression of what God is promising. And then, of course, over the last few weeks, we've looked at Abraham rescuing Lot. So after the rescue of Lot, we're told that God says, this man will be, not be your heir, but a son who will come from your own flesh and blood. Look up the sky and count the stars. So shall your offspring be. And again, the promise of the land. However, now Abraham has a son, Ishmael. And God has promised through Ishmael, the angel said to Hagar, who had run away, and uh, the angel of the Lord had come and, and sought out Hagar, and the angel added, and I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And so now Abraham is renamed Abraham because, God says, you'll be the father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. Not just a great nation, because that was the promise earlier. You will be a great nation. But now you'll be the father of many nations. And I wondered and I thought, never limit what God can and will do through you. Sometimes in spite of your mistakes and sometimes using your mistakes. Because God is using Abraham's failure to trust and he has gone from making him a father of a great nation to the father of many nations. And he's gone from being Abraham, which meant exalted father, which was the name his father had given him, to meaning Abraham the father of many nations. You know, when you read the scriptures, you very quickly realize that names are deeply significant. You didn't just give a kid a name. In fact, our three children, we chose their names. We came across names we liked, and Rochelle means from the rock. So it's got that connection to the name Peter. It's from the rock. Janine means gracious gift of God. And Liam means a mind firmly made up. Helmet of resolution. And our prayer was that he would have a mind that he knew what he wanted in life. And as a little kid, we kind of regretted that. As an adult, we're kind of happy about it. And so names are incredibly significant. But now God says, I want to give you a new name. I want to redefine who you are. Have we ever thought how limited we often are by the names that people have given us in the past? By the things people have said about us? By the things we've learnt to say about ourselves? or who we think we are. But God wants to give us a new name. He wants to redefine who you are. He wants to change what people say about you. But more importantly, he wants to change what you say about yourself. He wants to take what you are and who you think you are, and he now wants you to align your life with what he thinks of you, who he thinks you are, what he says about you. So when you read your Bible, 
be watching out for those things. And when, when you spend time in prayer, be listening for those things that God says to you about who you are. I'm sitting there looking at Christian, he'd be going, yep, identity. We've had the conversation. I had a friend in Melbourne who was quite, quite uh, influential. He was one of my eldership over there, Ibrahim. And he always said the same thing. It's about your identity in Christ. Who are you in Christ? And I've often said the thing I used to have, when I used to have my little Ford Escort back in the day, I had a, but, you know, uh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You know, and you have the phrase, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And Brahim would say to me, no, you were a sinner, but that's not your identity anymore. You are a child of God. And we need to stop talking about ourselves as who we were, but who Christ says we are. Now, just because I'm a child of God doesn't mean I don't sin, but that's not my identity anymore. Just because I come out of brokenness, my brokenness is not my identity anymore. Even though I still carry some of that brokenness, that's not who I am. Stop identifying yourself by your brokenness and start hearing what God is saying about you and start believing what God says and start declaring what God says. Believe me, that is transformational. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or brought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh will be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, the previous covenant was made by God. Remember the the, um, the heifer cut in half and, and, and the goat and the ram and then the pigeon and the dove and, and the spirit of God and the, the, flaming, uh, the flaming torch and, and the smoking fire pot uh, passing through and God passes through between the parts of that covenant and God makes a covenant he makes a promise to Abraham but now God declares this is my covenant with you, not to you, with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep forever. This other one was God says, I'm going to make you into. But now he says there's a this is a two-way covenant, this one. We are in this together. You are to undergo circumcision. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant. This is no longer just God's promise to Abraham. This is a covenant with Abraham and with all of his descendants. And it comes with a few expectations to be placed upon Abraham and his descendants. They now have to keep the covenant. 
From now on, every male, whether already in the household or born into the household or in any way brought into the household, every male needs to be circumcised. And as I read this passage, I don't know about you, Michael and Andy, but we've been on the preaching team for a while, and I think back over the seasons of teaching we've done over the last few years, we've preached through the book of Galatians, we've, we've preached through the book of Acts, and repeatedly this issue of communion, of circumcision, comes up. And there's this, this, there's this pressure around it. It's, it's so centrally, uh, so significantly important to the nation of Israel. And it became so contentious in the New Testament. And the contention in the New Testament is that the, it was so important to the nation of Israel that the, 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 uh, the Jews in the New Testament could not accept that these Gentiles could possibly come to faith without being circumcised. Frequently, Luke in the book of Acts makes references to this conflict and, and Paul often writes about the issue of circumcision and about those he refers to as the circumcision group, this, this group of strong Jews who are insisting that the Gentiles be circumcised. And in 1 Corinthians 7.19, Paul writes, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Paul addresses the issue at length in his letter to the church at Rome. In Romans 2.25-29, he writes, Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those, who have you, so if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys all the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are not a lawbreaker. Boy, Paul knows how to make it complicated sometimes. He continues, he says, A person who is not a Jew, who is one only outwardly. Sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew is one who is inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And I remember going, but how can Paul say that? How can Paul say that in the light of what we've seen in, in, in Genesis? In the light of this passage, this is my covenant and your descent with, with you and your descendants and you are to keep this covenant forever. Every male and female, so every male among you shall be circumcised. But if we look carefully, we see that the circumcision is not the covenant. The circumcision is a sign of the covenant. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. The heart of the covenant is best described a few moments earlier where God says, I will make you very fruitful, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. 
The covenant is about a relationship. It's about a relationship between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. From now on, God will be their God. It's a statement not about God's title. Oh, who's your God? Oh, Jehovah. It's about a relationship. He will be your God. In John 7, 22, Jesus said, because Moses, you, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcised the boy on the Sabbath. See, the, the, the Jews of that day now equated circumcision with fulfilling the law, not with the righteousness that comes by faith. Andy made the comment before about ticking a box, and I've got that here. Circumcision was not a box to be ticked. It marked a relationship. It marked a covenant. Ticking the box of circumcision didn't make you right with God. It represented the relationship you had with God. See, it's not about the law of Moses. It's about the heart of Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's about righteousness, right relationships. From now on, God will be their God. That just doesn't mean a name above the door plate. There's a whole lot of implications if God is to be your God. What's your faith? Oh, I'm a Christian. Tick box. That's not what it's about. If I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ one. I belong to Christ. I'm a Christ follower. It's not just a box. It's not just a label. It's not a census form where you go, what denomination, what faith are you? Tick the box. Who's your God? No. If God is your God, it changes everything. We are to serve him and bring him glory. And so they confuse the sign, the circumcision, with the covenant that it symbolised. Now there is a sense in which you cannot uh, separate the two. You cannot separate the sign from the actual covenant until you do. And when you do, you actually set up the circumcision, you actually set up the, the tick box as being preeminent. And it becomes an idol. Are you circumcised or not? But that's not the question. The question is, is God your God? And ticking the box, if God's not your God, and that's what point was making. When you tick the box and say, I'm circumcised, but if God is not your God, if you're not living in submission to him, it doesn't matter. And this blessedness, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances, Paul says, was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe who have not been circumcised in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who are not, uh, who are not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised.
It is not through the law that Abraham and his offsprings received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith that comes by hearing. By faith that is expressed in obedience to what God has said. Then God is your God. It's not about the law of Moses, it's about the heart of Abraham who believed God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. It's about a sign, but not a single action, not a tick box. And we're all going, that's great. But we don't worry too much about circumcision, mostly. But I think it's about any action that we take that is intended to be a sign that we turn into a tick box. If you go back prior to the Reformation in the 1600s, the Catholic Church, and I think they still have seven sacraments, after the Reformation we did away with most of those. We kept two, maybe three. Baptism, communion, and in some parts of the church, foot washing. And I think it's kind of funny that the one, maybe not funny, that the one of those three that we kind of set aside is the one where it's actually hardest to separate the sign from the action. Because if the sign is foot washing, see Jesus when he washes his feet, he says, as I have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. It's impossible. I find it impossible to separate that sign from the meaning. If you don't believe me, go home. When you get home, before or after lunch, find someone around you, your spouse or a member of your family, and wash their feet. You can't do that as a simple tick box. It is a power, Some of the most powerful faith moments I've had have been washing someone's feet. We used to do it every Easter when we were up at the Salvation Army on Donbuck Road. And one year the congregation had grown and we decided it was too much for me to wash everybody's feet. So we just lined up the chairs across the front and every home group leader washed the group feet of their home group and, and others who were in the congregation weren't part of a home group could line up. And then it was like kind of a free-for-all. So this was on the Thursday night. We were having a ham roast dinner. Warren and Sandra would have been there. And one of the most touching things was seeing this little five-year-old sitting there washing the, or kneeling there washing the feet of a four-year-old friend. These kids serving one another or others in relationship where there'd been strains in the relationship coming and bowing down and kneeling before them and washing their feet. You cannot separate that sign from that action. But this morning we've taken part in communion. Don't let that be a box that's ticked. Third Sunday of the month, been to the chapel, done communion, tick. Gail reminded us of the meaning of that. This is Christ laid down his life, that we might be set free. There's no point coming and ticking the box, I've done communion, if you're not discovering freedom in Christ. There's a song that I've shared in the past, most of you don't know, but it comes out of the Salvation Army. Salvation Army don't practice the sacraments which some people I find got a bit shocked by. And I can happily discuss that with you later. But this was a song which was often called the Salvationist Sacraments 
or the salvationist communion. My life must be Christ's broken bread. My love is outpoured wine that other souls refreshed and fed may share his life through mine. You see, when we come to this table, we remember that Christ gave his life, his body was broken and his blood poured out so that we might be set free through relationship with him. And we tick the box and we go home and say, that was great. But the message of Jesus says, as I have, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So the Father sent Jesus to have his body broken, his blood poured out, to give his life for you and me. And so Jesus says, and now I send you. So when we come to the communion table, it's not only a reminder of what Christ did for us, it's what Christ wants us to do for others. If it's only about him, it almost becomes just a tick box. It's just, it's just a symbol. But when we take that meaning and that message and we go out and we live that out. And baptism. If there's someone here this morning who's not been baptised, I'd love to talk about that with you. Happily do that for you. But remember, baptism is not a box to be ticked. Yep, been under the water, fully immersed, all done, tick box. But that's not what it's about. Again, the Apostle Paul says, don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so you've been baptised, you've been through the waters of baptism, as they say, and you can remember the date, you can remember the time, and you've ticked the box. But if you're still living the old life, we may not be queuing up to say, tick the box of circumcision. But we often, in so many things in our faith, we tick the box. Been to church, had my quiet time, enjoyed the worship this morning, didn't enjoy the worship, whatever. We tick the boxes, but do we allow the transformation in our lives that these things point to, that these things lead to? My prayer is that we would not be a people who would be satisfied with ticking boxes. I'm sitting here this morning, I'm listening to Andy share, listening to Gail share, thinking about Rob's passing. And I think back over the various weeks of different things that are shared in this place. People who are open and honest or learning to be open and honest with one another. We are all on a journey of faith. And we're not here to check in on one another to make sure we're doing it right. We're here to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not to tick boxes. My prayer is we'll be a people who live a new life, a life that is laid down in service of others in obedience to God's word and by the leading and empowering of his Holy Spirit. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.